0: From NewSounds.org and the studios of WNYC in New York, this is Soundcheck, our series of live performances and interviews. I'm John Schaefer. Pianist Laura Downs has been redefining what it means to be a classical musician, often by expanding our definition of what classical music is. She's championed the works of women and black composers, she's been a cultural activist and a broadcaster. Now she's preparing to release an EP called Rhapsody in Blue Reimagined to mark the 100th anniversary of Gershwin's iconic piece. We'll talk about that, and she and sax player Edmar Colon will give us a kind of a preview of that bigger work, but we're going to work our way up to that. First, here is Laura Downs at our piano to play a 1921 song by the great U.B. Blake. This is called Love Will Find a Way. Love Will Find a Way, written in 1921 by Eubie Blake, played live here in our studio by pianist Laura Downs. Great to see you again. Great
1: to see you, John.
0: So, you know, I introduced you by saying, you know, classical pianist, what is classical music? I mean, here you are at a Steinway reading from a score, and yet this in 1921, this was pop music, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's so changed.
0: It, what what changed how did it how did it change did it change or did we change around
1: <laughs> i mean all all of the above right mm. can i set up what this is yeah please so this is a song from the show shuffle along which right. opened on broadway in 1921 and langston hughes called that the start of the harlem renaissance right it was an all black creative team as you said this, the tune was written by U B blake and noble sissel and noble his sissel.
0: longtime lyricist
1: by the way it sounded nothing like that in the show <laughs> It's yeah. a, you know, it's an up-tempo, sort of vaudeville number. Yes. I think my case for this is knowing what I know about everything that was happening in American music at that time, knowing who could do what, you know, knowing who had ambitions to do what and wasn't able to do that, and especially when you're talking about the the community of black artists, the only space you had, you know? But I think that there are sounds that were in the imagination and in the aspiration and the ambition of all these artists. And so for me to take music like this and bring it, you know, to this Steinway, to this studio, to these listeners in this setting that really says a lot, I think, about the American Songbook and where Mm -hmm. it came from. It's um re well, it's reimagining, it's reimagining history.
0: well, and you know, a great example of that is Scott Joplin, yes, you know, who had ambitions to be
1: yes.
0: m- more than a quote unquote, ragtime composer yes. performer. Uh, And Tremanesha has, you know, that that has taken like almost a century of reconsideration to, you know, come to a place where you can mount a production and have it make sense and, you know. Raise the money for it. Right, Mm -hmm. right. So to come back to like the, there's a theme there's often a big idea that unites your projects. So mm-hmm. the Scott Joplin reconsidered for Lenny the Bernstein mm-hmm. America again this kind of wide angle view of what it means to be an American. What is the big idea animating this set of pieces that you've brought into the studio here today?
1: I mean I think this is all a continuum And you know I don't see it until I'm doing it, but the thing that unites everything, all the projects you just mentioned and the project that we're discussing today, I think honestly is about change and it's about hope. And it's about, well, the longer that I am an American person (laughs) and an American artist, I understand how essential it is, not only for our expression, but for our survival to always be expressing the best of what we, Imagine or hear that our world can be. And you see that over and over again. Bernstein did that. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to think it's just our job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and that's not coming out of nowhere. Uh, A lot of the sort of what happened in the 19-teens and 20s was black American music Mm -hmm. finding its way into classical music. You know, we have spirituals being taken by people like Samuel Coleridge-Taylor and H.T. Burley and turned into something that became concert music. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, you talk about change. Right. What is the place in history of somebody like an H.T. Burley?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's such a an important crossroads. All, well, of. I was going <laughs> to say at all corners of the crossroads. I <laughs> mean, you know, Burley I think is the the link between the European classical tradition and um, not only American concert music, but maybe other kinds of American music as well. So um, Burleigh was Antony Dvorak's entry point into his idea of what American concert music could and should be, meaning it should be based on Native traditions right. and Black American music. Dvorak met Burleigh when he came here in the 1890s, and he introduced Dvorak to the world of spirituals. And when Dvorak heard those, he said, "Aha, that's that's the equivalent of the folk music in Bohemia that I've been you right. know, playing with. And this is what this is what needs to happen here.
0: And one I, I mean, it's so neat that the the second movement of Dvorak's New World Symphony, <laughs> that melody, you know, it struck home to so many Americans that it was just assumed that it was a a spiritual to the point that it eventually became (laughs) the spiritual going home.
1: great example too. I think that all of this all of these things flow in multiple directions. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, we're we're working our way up to mm-hmm. Gershwin mm-hmm. here um, but let's let's talk about uh, some of these burly uh, transcriptions. You're going to play two of them for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is On Bended Knees which you know most people will know under another title <laughs> yeah. and I think it'll be pretty clear once you start playing it. Uh, and the other is My Lord What a Morning. So We're talking about early 20th century. He had a long career, right? Yes,
1: yes. But these are the 19-teens, I think. Yeah. Um, Yes. And, I mean, I think for him, he was raised in the North. Um, For him, the act of writing this, which is called From the Southland, it's a set of six pieces for piano, all of them based on spirituals. Yeah, he's taking the music, you know, of the ancestors, but also of a very, very recent history of slavery. Right. And translating it into a form of concert music.
0: And would Gershwin have been familiar with these?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's that's why I wanted to share this music because I think this is all in this is all in Gershwin's origin story. Shuffle Along too, he went to see Shuffle Along multiple times, we know that. And, you know, this is probably the first time that he was hearing music like that in a more formalized setting.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So all of these different strands go into this iconic American piece right. that would become Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. Uh, but, all right, so you want to you do a couple of these sure. pieces for us? Laura Downs at our piano, uh, On Bended Knees, better known as Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, and then My Lord, What a Morning. That is Lara Downs live at our piano with two of H.T. Burley's arrangements of some uh, great old African-American spirituals. First, On Bended Knees, which was Burley's arrangement of Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen. And then My Lord, What a Morning. And there are moments that sound like Schubert or Liszt yeah. or, you know, I mean, yeah. this is clearly, these are arrangements that are meant to bring this music into the classical music world, right?
1: Yes, very intentional.
0: And and so a young George Gershwin, not that there was an old George (laughs) Gershwin, but an even younger George Gershwin, this would have been in the air, so to speak, Mm -hmm. as he was kind of forming his musical personality, right?
1: Yeah. You know, if we think the music world is small now, it was very small then.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So February 12th Mm -hmm. is the 100th anniversary Yes. of Rhapsody in Blue. On February 10th, you and the sax player and composer Edmar Cologne, who's also here with <laughs> us, are releasing Rhapsody in Blue reimagined. Tell us what the reimagining was and how you and Edmar came to put this together.
1: Well, first of all, Edmar and I Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we met in Boston 2 years ago. Two years, yeah. Working with the Boston Pops. And it was a concert focusing on the music of Ellington and Strayhorn, two other great American icons. Mm -hmm. And Edmar had done an arrangement of Ellington's Caravan that took that song back to its roots in a spectacular way. So that's how um, I knew his work and I knew him. And when I started thinking about this anniversary coming up, you know, sometimes we don't do a great job with anniversaries <laughs> in the music <laughs> world. Sometimes we just play pieces of music over and over again until nobody wants to hear them anymore. Um, and plus, you know, we all we all know Rhapsody in Blue pretty well. It's pretty yeah. familiar. Yeah. So I knew that I was going to be playing the piece a lot next year, many people. And I just started thinking about what, what does the piece mean to me? Gershwin, ex- his vision for this piece, he called it... The Musical Kaleidoscope of America. And he talks about the melting pot and right. how this is celebrating the melting pot and our, our metropolitan madness, all the things he was experiencing. So what did that mean in 1924 and what does that mean now in 2024?
0: Right, because I suppose, Edmar, some of the ingredients in that melting pot have changed in Indeed. the last hundred yes. years. Yes, absolutely. And so there's, there are moments in your arrangement. It's not an arrangement, is it? I mean, there are moments, there are stretches of the piece that are new. Correct. So, Gershwin was hearing... Black and white music, sure. and and his melting pot included the sounds of Jewish immigrants, you know, from Eastern Europe and all that kind of stuff. West
2: Indies, yeah, the Caribbean.
0: So, but it's the 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 Caribbean
2: element is way more obvious in your version. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah, I mean, New York is a lot of Puerto Ricans and, and Dominicans, right? I'm from Puerto Rico, so I'm partly biased. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, the, w- when, when Lara and I started talking about this project and she brought this incredible idea, I said, well, you know, we, I sometimes I feel like the celebration of all these cultures in different musical works, it's, it's done, not just almost, you know, it's almost there. Mm-hmm. Like, like getting to touch the, the authenticity of what you can bring and, and with my background of growing up in Puerto Rico and listening to all the sounds of the Caribbean and and you know playing saxophone which inherently comes from this jazz world right i'm very steeped in, th- in there as w- as well and i have a deep love for classical music so i said this was the perfect canvas for us to really go to town as mm-hmm. as they say with these explorations so th- there are these kind of afro-caribbean
0: elements but um in the recording coming out on February 2nd towards the end there's a passage with a lot of traditional Chinese instruments.
2: Yes.
1: The first things that we talked about was this question of what is American music. It's many different things mm-hmm. because this is a big country with many different traditions and stories. And so we've built the piece to be site specific. The recording that you'll hear and the first performance took place in San Francisco. So the history of Chinese immigration is right. essential to that region, and so we wanted to highlight that. As the piece moves around the country, it absorbs local sounds and stories and musicians and traditions, and you know celebrates. So this this
0: this little part of the piece is sort of open-ended and you can you can tailor it to Mm -hmm. the communities. Yeah. Which if you know if you're a a classical music purist you may think oh that's not how (laughs) but that's how Rhapsody in Blue worked (laughs) at its (laughs) premiere right? Yeah exactly. The piece wasn't finished. Gershwin (laughs) famously told the conductor wait for Nod (laughs) in the score, you know? So there was a part there that was, like, (laughs) basically tailor-made to that opening night.
2: And I think the greatest composers, and this is true about composition, composition and the act of improvising in music, which is a central piece of of African-American music, it's, it's composing in the spot. So I think those two things, which are the same in my mind, are very present in this piece, and that's why there's a lot of improvising in this piece as well and a lot of open... Like Miles Davis, you say, leave a window, leave a window in there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of windows in there for That's all the things That's actually a pretty good happen. Miles Davis impersonation <laughs> there, Edmar. <laughs> um, all right, so February
0: 2nd, uh, the EP comes out called Rhapsody in Blue Reimagined. And uh, Edmar, your version of Rhapsody in Blue is about 10 minutes longer than, yeah. than Gershwin's. Mm-hmm. There is a bonus track on that EP, which the two of you have already released and which you're going to play for us now. Tell us... How Study in Blue Relates
2: to Rhapsody in Blue.
1: (laughs) Can I tell this?
2: Yeah, you want to tell? We can both tell it. You tell yours. Yeah,
1: so we had our first (laughs) work session on the piece in Boston last year, and we were just going through the score. You know, we went back to Gershwin's piano score to just kind Mm -hmm. of reimagine what everything would sound like, and we got to the famous... Flow theme, love theme, E major theme, whatever you <laughs> want to call it, and I was playing it on the piano, and Edmar said that reminds me of that Chopin, you know, the the <laughs> Tristesse Etude.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I stopped. I, wow, this is like Etude Number Three, Opus Ten. <laughs> oh my God, who's stealing what, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, of course, it's like Stravinsky famously said, you know, the great, the good composers borrow, the great composers steal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about yeah. that? But it, it was, it just came to our mind. Uh, uh,
1: But I think, like, in seriousness, it it also spoke to us of the other part of Gershwin's sound world, which was, you know, 19th century romanticism and and classical music and his ambitions in that area.
0: Right. Because he did state that he wanted to be able to exist in both worlds, Mm -hmm. the the sort of pop slash jazz world of the Mm -hmm. 1920s and the classical music that was his sort of received tradition. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Study in Blue. This is... Kind of a.
1: Chopin meets Gershwin meets Cologne. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. It's a
2: little ma- mashup, as they, yeah. they say in the, the pop world. Mm. All
0: right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's hear a live performance. Edmar Cologne playing the soprano sax, Lara Downs once again at our piano. The piece is called Study in Blue. Lovely. Study in Blue, which is Edmar Colone's mashup of uh, the slow theme from Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue with the Chopin etude in E major. E major. Opus 10, number 3. Yes. Uh, Laura Downs at our piano, Edmar Cologne playing the sax. And um, so is this, is this something that the two of you will play? I mean... <laughs> That's a great question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think this is also becoming the seed of more ideas. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Your your arrangement, Edmar, of the Rhapsody and Blue, the Rhapsody and Blue reimagined, Mm -hmm. did you write yourself into that piece? Is there a part?
2: I am playing in it, yes, uh, but it it did not appear until later in the piece because we were, you know, Lara and I were saying, the, the element of improvise music improvisation and music needs to be present right. just because of the heavy influence of jazz right uh, that Gershwin uh, ex- used. So I, I did not conceive that early on but it, it appears as it happens often writing music like oh this is a great space a great moment for a solo to happen improvise solo and I so there's two spaces there where I'm playing in the in the big piece. Yes. <laughs>
0: So what is the plan, Uh, you know, Laura, you started off by saying, you know, we're not very good about celebrating anniversaries, you know, we just play the same pieces over and over until no one wants to hear them anymore. What what is the plan for the reimagined Rhapsody in Blue?
1: I mean, I'm hoping that we get to play this piece a lot, not just next year, but you know, for many years to come. I think it's important um, to realize that in 1924 Gershwin wrote a piano piece. And it was orchestrated by Freddie Graffet for Paul Whiteman's band for a concert that was you know, happening in a matter of weeks. Right. And I don't think that that has to be set in stone. That is a beautiful version from 1924 that we all love. And now there's a new one. And hopefully 100 years from now, there will be another one. And I also think that what Edmar and I are trying to do with this piece is not just you know, reinvent Rhapsody in Blue, but really to tell the story of Rhapsody in Blue, the story of immigration and transformation in the way that America keeps changing, so quickly and so much, you know, as Gershwin experienced and as he predicted, um, it's yeah, this is kind of a a portal into that very big American story. And,
2: and it does feel like it's not ever completed. It's not like it's done. Hmm. I don't think any any work nothing's is ever done. you know nothing's right. ever hmm. done. But particularly with this piece, it's so hmm. open ended o- originally. I mean, mm-hmm. th- given the circumstances that it was written so quickly, also.
0: Well, and and you know, even that, f- quote unquote, first version. You know, there's two first versions. Right. The, because Ferde Grofé also did a full orchestra yeah. version. Yeah, 1942. So, yeah, so th- y- you have, th- and that's that's even more famous and commonly known now than the original with Paul Whiteman's. Band, basically. Yeah. And then
1: there's the most famous version, which is the United Airlines version. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> Wait until this one comes out. <laughs> um, I mentioned uh, in introducing you, Lara, that you are also a broadcaster. <laughs> and our sister station, WQXR, runs your show on Monday nights. What's the big idea there?
1: <laughs> it's called Classical Americana. And it is, you know, it's, it's starting with the broad body of work that is American concert music, but it's exploring the origin stories of all of it. You know, where did the folk tunes come from that Copeland used in Appalachian Spring? Where did the jazz tunes come from that Gershwin used in Rhapsody in Blue? All of these things, I'm kind of taking them back to their source and also storytelling and um, some unexpected, yeah, some unexpected recordings of, well, archival sounds and then, you know, Marvin Gaye might show up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Via recording, of course. Yes, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, uh, Classical Americana, Mm -hmm. Monday nights on WQXR-FM, our sister station here in New York, and Rhapsody in Blue reimagined out on February 2nd as an EP, and then it comes out again again in September on your LP, (laughs) right? It just
1: keeps coming. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's a full album coming in September and uh, this is all on the Pentatone label and in September it's an album called This Land which has the Rhapsody at at its center and a lot of other music by composers from Margaret Bonds to a young Iranian composer named Kian Ravai with the same nuanced lens on American music and American history and American life.
0: All right. Well, this has been great fun. Mm. Um, I, I can't wait to see how the reimagined Rhapsody, you know, tours the country and picks up different kind of spices, musical Mm -hmm. spices Mm -hmm. along Mm -hmm. the way. Edmar Colon and Laura Downs, thank you both for being with us. Thank Thank you, you, John.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you so much.
0: Irene Trudell is our technical director. Our producer, Karen Havlick, shot video of these performances. I'm John Schaefer. You can keep up with everything we're doing on New Sounds by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. Text New Sounds to 70101 or sign up on the website at newsounds.org.